Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 93 of our 120-day Upper Room prayer campaign. And today, we are determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. When you're building a strong structure, you've got to lay the foundations. You start with that cornerstone and you build out from there. So if we don't have a good grasp on the foundation of our faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't pay to go any farther than that. We need to understand this to be able to evangelize the lost. We need to understand this that we might be able to stand firm as we pick up our cross daily and follow after Christ. That we not stray. And if your church is not preaching the biblical foundations of faith, then all the other fluff and dessert that is offered is going to be worthless to us on that final day. Because without the cornerstone, the whole building falls apart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said in ministering to the Corinthians, which were a paganistic people who didn't have an understanding of the biblical foundations, he said this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men or wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit in power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And of course, it's talking here about the principalities, because Jesus wasn't crucified by any human prince. He's referring to the powers and principalities that pushed him to the crucifixion. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God know no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things of God that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things 
of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Paul was a highly educated man. He was a Pharisee before he converted to Christianity. He understood the scriptures. He understood the genealogies. He understood all of the texts. But when he came to these pagan people, he said to them, I come to you not with excellency of speech. I have actually determined to forget everything and to preach to you only Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because if you can understand the reason for a savior and come to receive him by faith, faith, then you will receive that Holy Spirit of grace and the spirit itself will bear witness with your spirit and begin to teach you and bring you into all things. So Paul determined that the most effective and important tool in evangelizing the lost was to bring them the message of Jesus Christ from the cradle to the cross to make them to understand our sin from the beginning and that our king is coming again. So today I'm going to take you through this so I can give you an example of how we should lead people into salvation. When a person first gets saved, we need to sit them down and begin to disciple them, to teach them, to instruct them in righteousness. But we don't need to pour a bunch of theology on them. We need to pour the history of humanity and our need for a Messiah. So I start by asking, why do we need a savior? If the Lord prompted you to tell someone today that they need to get saved and they said, from what? What would you tell them? Would you have an answer? The biblical answer would be to take them back to the beginning. In the book of Genesis, it says that we were created for sonship and fellowship with God. It says that we walked with him in the cool of the day in the garden. God created the earth and it was perfect. It was good. It was without sin or decay. He created the land and man and all of the animals in it. He put us all in this paradise, this perfect place, free from sin and death. And he walked and fellowshiped with us in it. But the Bible says, can two walk together except that they agree? And in the beginning, we did agree with God. He laid an agreement with us. If we will listen to him, trust him, believe him, have faith in him, then he will do what is good for us always. But if we sin, in other words, if we disagree with him, if we fall out of agreement, then it will cause us to do things that are damaging, which will lead us to death in the end. But then the snake comes in to the garden and he begins to play on their mind, their will and their emotions. And he brings them the lie that the devil brings to all men. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that when he said that if you eat, you will die? No, no, that's not what he really meant. You want to try this. The only thing in all of the world that you cannot have, this is the thing that you really want. Agree with me against him. And when Adam and Eve chose to participate in that sin and to take of that fruit, that forbidden thing, what they truly did was to come into agreement with the enemy and break agreement with God. And in the book of Amos, it says, can two walk together except they agree? No, they cannot. So they were no longer in agreement with God. They broke the contract. They broke the covenant. And so because of its sin entered into the world. So now Adam and Eve have this stain of sin on them. And then all of their children were born after that they had fallen. 
Therefore, all of them inherited this sin because this unclean spirit had entered in. He was being led of this rebellious spirit. All of his children were born to inherit this spirit, this unclean spirit, this rebellion, this sin, the sin nature. So as sin began to grow more and more rampant in the earth, sin overtook the earth along with many perversions and wickednesses that the enemy in the garden and the fallen that had come with him began to influence men to commit even to the point of polluting the Adamic bloodline so that the Savior could not be born in. So God had to put a stop to it. He sent the flood to cleanse the earth, a baptism. And man started over again. Then we see Abraham come on the scene, a man who was humble after God's own heart, walking in good character, the fruits of the Spirit, willing to sacrifice and give all to bring others into the family. He was a good example of a redeemer. And God came to him and gave him a promise. And he said, out of your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. I'm going to bring you a promise. And then as the years go on, we see the story progress. And Moses comes on the scene. And to Moses is delivered the law because the people are still sinning. They're being led astray by this evil spirit that has taken dominion over the land, over the earth. Because remember that from the beginning, the commission that God had given Adam and Eve was to go forth and subdue the land, take dominion. But they forfeited that dominion when they came into agreement with the enemy because that which you come into agreement with, you have no authority against. So now the enemy has taken dominion. Satan rules the earth and he influences man to do his work. So God delivers the law to Moses. We get the Ten Commandments where God is giving us a mirror to show us our wickedness that we should not do these things. And of course, the moral law was encompassed in this, that the first commandment is that we have no other God before him, that we put him first in all manners of our life. And if we fail to do that, then we sin. Second commandment is likened unto it in that we cannot create a God of our own making in our own image. We are not to carve statues or to say that God is who we think he is, but we must submit to who he really is according to scripture. The third is that we do not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. We do not speak it without reverence. We do not use it as a curse word. We do not say it in passing, but only when we are truly talking to him. The fourth is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy, which means that we set time aside to spend with the Lord God Almighty. We give him a day of the week that we can spend some time seeking him, speaking to him, praying, praising, giving him the adoration that he deserves. The fifth is that we honor our father and our mother. The, the sixth is that we do not commit murder. Jesus expounded upon this saying that if we even hate or hold offense against our brother then it is equated to murder in his eyes and we fall guilty of this the seventh is that we do not commit adultery adultery is a sin and jesus said that if you have lust within your heart and looking upon somebody then you are still guilty of this the eighth is that we are not to steal. The ninth is that we are not to bear false witness against our neighbor. In other words, do not lie. And the tenth is that we do not covet what others have. We do not envy or want what is not ours. We are to be content in whatever the Lord has given us. And if we are guilty of any of these things, then we are 
condemned, already we have sinned and we are under the curse of the old covenant. We need to die to self so that we can fulfill the judgment and be raised again with Christ in newness of life, given a new spirit and a new covenant. In other words, we make a new commitment. And because the new covenant allows us to be joined with Christ as his bride and receive of his spirit, we are also empowered to no longer fall victim to the sins that led us into the old judgment. God prophesied that when he would put his spirit within us, then we would be able to walk in his statutes. Then we would be able to walk and bear his fruit, have his love and not hate our brother. This is why Jesus said, you'll know whether or not they really have my spirit by their fruit. Do they have my character? Because character comes from spirit. And if we have the character or the fruits of the spirit, you know, that love, joy, peace, gentleness, humility, kindness, patience, self-control, all of these things or the character of God. If we have his spirit, we will bear his character. We will show that fruit and it will cause us to not do those selfish things that were identified as sin from the beginning. This is how he saves us from sin by empowering us to overcome it. But because of the influence of the sinful spirit upon their flesh, that they had inherited from Adam, they just couldn't keep the law. They needed a new spirit. And we see this exemplified in the prophetic words written in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, when God said, a new heart also will I give unto you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away your stony heart out of your flesh. That stony heart, which is represented by the law being written on those stone tablets. But God said, I will take that stony heart out and I will write my law upon a heart of flesh. He said, and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Because Adam sinned in the beginning and we are all born from him, then we inherit his sin. So even if we don't think we have done anything wrong, we still inherited sin, a dirty spirit from him. So in order for us to get to heaven, we have to be born again of Jesus, the second Adam, the sinless Adam, to inherit a good and clean spirit from him that can access heaven so that we can be reconciled unto the Father who is in heaven. The fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. Which brings us up to Jesus. So we look first at the birth. A messianic prophecy of the coming birth of Jesus was given in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 when it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government or authority shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God came to be born. He put his spirit within flesh. So God came 
as humility incarnate. He came to be our example to demonstrate, to do right everything that we messed up, everything that Adam did wrong, everything that man could not do right. Jesus walked out faithfully and humbly as our example because that God's spirit, a new spirit, that clean spirit was in him. He was giving us an example of what it would look like because he was going to soon release it that we might be able to receive it and walk in the power of it. Also, God came as our example. He could have come as a conqueror. He could have come in a palace. He could have come with an army, but he came to be born in a barn like a baby lamb to be our lamb to be our sacrifice to take away the sin because in the beginning the agreement that was given was that if you sin you will die and until this point animals had been sacrificed lambs in place of man but it didn't take away the sin it only covered it for a season but now we have the real lamb being born in this barn to take away the sins of the world, to be sacrificed once and for all, to pay the price, to fulfill the agreement that we might be freed from it. Jesus said that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. The law was given to show us what we were doing wrong. Jesus came to show us how to do it right. The law gave us rules. Jesus gave us an example. He was the second Adam, the sinless Adam. The Bible says that by one man, Adam, sin came into the world. And by one man, Jesus, redemption came from it. And so then we look at the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was taught carpentry by Joseph, who was his earthly father, his caretaker, the one who God in charge to raise him up. Joseph died very early in Jesus's life. Jesus experienced work, family, uh, common human responsibilities and sorrows. As the eldest son of the family, he would have had to tend to the family after Joseph's death. The Bible says that we don't have a high priest that is not untouched by our infirmities, but that in everything that we go through, he has experienced, he understands he has compassion and sympathy. He's been through it. And we may say, well, Jesus was never married. He doesn't know the responsibilities of being a father and having a family. But, but we forget that Joseph died early on in his life. And he actually did have to step up into that role as a kid. As a young child, he would have had to help to tend to the family. This is why he worked as a carpenter until the beginning of his ministry. So he understood all of those common aspects of our life even before his ministry began. But once he was baptized, he stepped into his ministry. He began to minister truth, love, mercy, compassion, correction, rebuke. He healed. He did miracles. He prophesied. He was loved. He was hated. He was betrayed and he was crucified. Which brings us to his death. Remember that the first Adam fell from grace in a garden and so did the second Adam redeem man in a garden. The night before his crucifixion, he knelt in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally means the olive press, the anointing. Jesus was the anointed one. The anointing in scripture was always represented as olive oil. The very anointed one, when that anointing was going to flow over all of the world to pour out, he literally sat in that place of the olive press where the olive is crushed. And as he prayed under the great weight of the 
judgment that was coming. It says that his sweat fell as great drops of blood under the crushing pressure of God's will for him that he might be our redemption. Jesus was betrayed by a kiss by one of his own disciples. The Bible says that for envy, the Pharisees sought to kill him. They knew that he was innocent. They knew that he was a prophet of God. They knew that God was with him. And because of envy, they sought to kill him. His own church turned against him. The very people he was trying to save crucified him. And through it all, he prayed for them and loved them and endured shame and reproach. Pilate, who was a Roman, actually tried to free him. But all the people turned against him, crying, crucify him. He was beaten, spit on, mocked, stripped, pierced, punched, nailed to a cross, and left to suffocate in his own blood. When his side was pierced with the spear, water rushed out, fulfilling the prophecy that out of him would flow rivers of living water. And in the process, proving that he literally died of a broken heart. Because any medical doctor can tell you that the only way that water is going to burst forth from your side is if your heart literally explodes in your chest. Jesus loved the world so much that he gave his all, his whole heart to redeem us from the curse that we brought upon ourselves in the garden. And all while we hated him for it, he was dying, brokenhearted. And to this, I'm going to read you Isaiah chapter 53. This was a messianic prophecy given in the Old Testament about the crucifixion of Christ. And I think it is so beautifully given because it's not an eyewitness account of what men saw. This is God himself pouring out what he knew would happen on that day because he exists outside of time it's as if Jesus himself was saying what he experienced and so for me it's the most beautiful account of the crucifixion it says who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness. In other words, Jesus was not a handsome man. There was no physical reason that people should follow after him. He wasn't charismatic. He wasn't the best looking. He was humble in every form and fashion. He was comely. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. 
he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is quiet, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generations? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Remember this word was given many, many hundreds of years before Jesus. And it's giving a clear account of his crucifixion. Jesus was given a grave by a rich man. Because that he had mercy on him because he knew he did no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus never lied or compromised. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand why did it please the Lord to bruise him because he knew that he was bringing redemption because God loves us that much for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life he came to pay the price of the crime the sin that we committed in the beginning in the garden Jesus was our offering for sin how much should we love him for this how much would we love him if we truly believed and grabbed hold of this it continues to say he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servants justify many for he shall bear their iniquity By bringing the testimony of Jesus Christ, do we, his righteous servants, cause many to be justified from their sins. To bring them to understand that Jesus bore them for them. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. God himself saying that because Jesus was willing to die, he is giving him a great spoil, a reward. And Jesus then divides that reward amongst his followers, those who have been made strong in him. This is the power of the crucifixion and why we ought to love and praise him daily for it. Next was his burial. Jesus borrowed a tomb. He would only need it for three days after all. As we said earlier, a rich man gave it to him. He had a tomb. His name was Joseph. He offered it for their use and he used it. But of course, he didn't stay in it. The tomb was covered by a massive stone and guarded by Roman soldiers because that 
Many had already heard of the prophecy that he would be resurrected from the dead and they were afraid that his disciples would come and remove the body and fake the resurrection. So the Romans had ordered many guards to stand around the tomb. Of course, God had his hand in this because he wanted to make sure that it was proven that the resurrection was real and it wasn't something fabricated. So he allowed for it to be made impossible to fake. He was dead for three days, there was a belief in the culture of the time that the soul didn't really depart from the body for three days. And of course, we understand that without medical instruments, many people went into comas and sometimes did awaken after they had been thought to be dead for a short time. But after three days, the body began to decay and they knew for sure that a person was dead. So did God wait for the third day so that the people would know that he truly had passed. This was also the reason that Jesus tarried before he came to visit Lazarus so that the people would know that he had truly died. And when he approached it, Lazarus's sisters said, Lord, surely he stinks by now. In other words, he's already begun to rot. So they would have known for sure by the third day that he wasn't just unconscious, but that he truly had passed away. Now, within this three days in the grave, there were some things taking place. For one thing, he entered in to the Holy of Holies, the true Holy of Holies. Remember that the Bible says that no sin can enter in to the kingdom of God. Flesh cannot enter into heaven. Therefore, the true Holy of Holies, the mercy seat that is the throne of God. Remember that God gave Moses a replica of heaven and he built that into the tabernacle system so that when you entered into the tabernacle, you were entering a replica of heaven. And the job of the high priest was to take the blood of the atonement, the sacrifice, the lamb of God, and to sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, which was within the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And this would bring atonement for the people for one year, but it was only a shadow and type of Christ who is our true high priest because you see no one could bring an atoning sacrifice to the true mercy seat because the Bible says that no sin can enter into the kingdom of God and until this point every man that had died from the time of Adam died in sin with the inherited sin of Adam so that no one could enter in to bring an atonement but now Jesus has been crucified a man who knew no sin the first person that could truly enter into heaven and he brought the blood of the atonement his own blood the sacrificial lamb that would take away the sins of the world once and for all he brought his own blood into the mercy seat into heaven as an atonement for our sins and once he did this, then all of the saints in the past that had believed forward on him that he was coming were atoned for. And all those in the present that would believe on him from this point forward would be atoned for also. So in this, did he go down to hell to take the keys of the kingdom from Satan because he had overcome death, hell and the grave. He retrieved the saints that were in holding there having atoned for them once and for all, was able to bring them to heaven, to the altars of God. They could now enter in. We see in Revelations chapter 1 verse 18, it says, And I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus went down to hell, not as a victim, but as a victor to profess his victory and his taking of the kingdom from the enemy. He snatched those keys of death, hell, and the grave, keys representing authority. 
and he brought those saints to heaven with him. In fact, it says that during the resurrection, that many of those saints were seen walking the streets with him, which brings us to the resurrection. On the third day, he rose again. Our God is the only God that ever walked the earth that died but couldn't stay dead. All the other religions that follow what they consider to be incarnate deity, they all died and they stayed dead. They were no different than mortal men. But Jesus, on the third day, he rose again. As soon as he rose, he revealed himself first to those who sought him most. Martha was there. She was weeping and she was crying and she was begging because she walked in and the tomb was empty. She begged the angel that was there thinking it was a gardener saying, please tell me what have you done with my Lord that I might go and find him. She was seeking him. All the rest were in hiding. She was risking her life to seek him. And so he revealed himself first to those who sought him most. After the resurrection, he was seen by hundreds of witnesses for 40 days walking the earth. The dead saints that were raised with him were seen also. And this was recorded not only in scripture, but by many records of the day. In having the testimony of his resurrection, God's power over death through him, he becomes our hope, our blessed assurance that the same God who was able to raise him from the dead will also raise us to rule and reign with him at the resurrection of the dead. When he returns, it validated all of his words. Forty days after his resurrection, he was seen ascending into heaven and two angels that stood by told the people as he ascended that in the same way that he left, he will one day return. So we are to wait and watch for him and live as though he is coming and watch for him having faith in every word that came out of his mouth because everything that he said validated everything that was already written in scripture and everything that would happen from that point forward. And so now we have to see because of the resurrection, we are granted salvation in his death, burial and resurrection. Jesus fulfilled the terms of the original agreement. His death paid the price for our life. And in doing so, he makes a new agreement, a new Testament, a new covenant. He also makes a new way for us to fulfill the terms of the old agreement that we might walk into the new agreement. Because the old agreement says that the sinful man must die. And so Jesus makes a way that we can die and be buried with him to fulfill and release us from the terms of the first covenant or contract. Many people say that we're no longer under law. That's not entirely true. If you are still in sin, then the law still applies to you because you are still going to die and go to hell. The law was not done away with. God gave us a way to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled it and he gave us a way to die to it also that we might be raised in newness of life under a new covenant. So we have to choose to repent, turn away from sin, believe in him, be baptized, be born again, receive his spirit that the old man that was bound to that covenant might die and fulfill the terms of it and a new man be raised in newness of life that are bound to the new covenant. So that once having given up the ghost, you know, that old unclean spirit that we inherited from Adam, we can receive his spirit as promised 
which causes us to be born anew, a fresh start, sonship, power. Remember the prophecy that I read to you from the beginning that he would take away our heart of stone and that old spirit and he would give us his spirit and then we would be able to walk in his statutes then we would be able to fulfill the ten commandments when we lose that leading of that old spirit when we die with christ and are willing to give up the ghost that we might receive his spirit the holy spirit and be led by it we are also empowered by it to fulfill the mandates and statutes that God has given. This was what was promised from the beginning. And it only takes faith to walk in it because it is a finished work. It's already been done. Just believe in it and receive it and grace will come. Jesus already atoned. The work is already done. We just have to be willing to believe it enough to release that evil spirit and receive his and walk in the power of it. If we don't truly believe in it, we won't receive it. It's all done by faith. His spirit is the spirit of grace. It's not just a word anymore. It's power. That's why Paul said in the opening passage that in evangelizing, he didn't bother trying to bring complex words. He brought them the testimony of Jesus Christ and a demonstration of the power we overcome by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did and the word of our testimony that proves the power of what he did, that it causes us to overcome sin. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says, and if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you understand that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahshua, it literally means he shall save his people from their sin. He saves. When we call upon the name of the Lord and believe in that name, we are professing that we believe that he is able to save us from sin. And so we make an outward showing of that inward change and profession through the act of baptism. We have to understand that there is a baptism of blood, there is a baptism of water, and there is a baptism of fire, but they are actually all one baptism because God is a three-part being. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we understand that we were created in the likeness of God. So we are also three-part beings. We are a, we are a spirit, which, which is part of your character. We are a soul, which is the mind, the will, and the emotion. That's why sometimes your mind, your will, and your emotion seems to conflict with your spirit or your character. And then we are a physical body, which is flesh. And so in that, do we see that there are actually three baptisms, one for each, but yet they are all one because they are part of the whole in the same manner that we are one being with three parts and God is one, but three. Therefore, are there three baptisms? Our soul is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He came to save our soul from hell. Our body is washed by the washing of the water in that physical act that we give that demonstration of faith. And our spirit is baptized in fire, the, the fire of the Holy Ghost. 
We see this exemplified in the book of Revelations chapter one, verse five. It says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of this earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. Oh, we love those old hymnals. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. No water, no person, no act, no work. Nothing can take away sin but the blood of Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter three, verse 11, we read the words of John the Baptist who said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. We understand that that is a spiritual baptism, a baptism for our spirit, where we are baptized by the Holy Spirit of a living God with fire. So first, Jesus's blood atones for us. It removes all of our sin. Then we are baptized in water as a declaration of faith faith demonstrating that truth that we believe that he has done this thing for us it washes our flesh it gives us a representation of that rebirth experience the resurrection from the dead we are buried with Christ and we are raised up in newness of life we are born again through the water just like you were born from the beginning when you came forth out of the mother's womb you were born of water it's a new birth experience it's a similitude. It's a representation of what's happening in the spirit. And then once we have been cleansed by the washing of the water, which in actuality is a profession of faith that we have truly been cleansed within by the blood of Jesus Christ, we then can receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of grace to empower us to walk in newness of life, making us a witness or a demonstration of what Jesus did by his sacrifice, of what the blood has done, that it has changed us, that it has converted us, that it has made us new, that we are not who we used to be. We are different. We are born again. We are empowered to walk in this by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Three baptisms, yet one. All part of the same cleansing of a three-part man made in the image of a three-part God, a baptism of the body and water, a baptism of the soul and blood, and a baptism of the spirit and fire. Atonement, death, burial, and resurrection. The washing of the water by the word, bringing death to the flesh, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God, bringing power unto life. And it's all done by faith. The Bible says that the letter killeth, but the spirit bringeth life. The law shows us our sin and we repent of it. We go down and we let that old man die and we come up in newness of life by the power of his spirit. But it will only happen if you truly believe it. And so now we have to talk a little bit about our commission because Jesus gave us a commission. The whole reason the Holy Spirit was given was so that we could go forth and feel the great commission to be a witness of the power of the blood of Jesus throughout all the world so that others would know that he truly is the way of salvation that we might be grafted in to the root of David and receive of the blessings and the provisions of Abraham. But people won't believe this unless there's a witness, unless they can see some proof of it. So our 
our testimony, our life is to be that witness when we truly believe it enough to walk in faith in it. And so then we become the bride or the body of Christ, fulfilling his great commission, continuing his work in the earth until his return. Because the Bible says that the two become one. Therefore, do we work as one with Christ being his bride or his helpmate? The bride's job is to be a helpmate unto the groom to do the work that he has commissioned us to do or the body. We are the body of Christ. We continue to do the work or the will of the head, which is Christ. Whatever he tells us to do, we go forth and do it. And we are empowered to do it because of this indwelling Holy Spirit. We continue Christ's work and ministry in this earth and it is our job to go forth and to be a demonstration and a witness to others that they too can be liberated from the curse of the law of death, hell and the grave and from the bondage of the sin nature that bound us to it. The enemy no longer has dominion over you. You have been liberated, my friend, and it's our commission to live it, demonstrate it and preach it to the lost. It's time for evangelism to rise up in the church again, but it's going to take faith in the overcoming power of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are the body. He is the head, his spirit, his will, our body going forth to fulfill his commission, his grace producing visible fruits and works through us. That's what proves that it's real and it's alive and it's available. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, the two become one. It's a marriage. It will only be fruitful. It will only work with both parts in action. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Your life needs to preach the message of the overcoming power of Jesus Christ. And in that, are you able to go out and be a witness that overcomes every lie of the enemy? And this is our job to do without fail, even if it cost us our life in the process until he returns. That's why it says in the book of Revelations that they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they love not their lives even unto the death. We've got to be willing to push forward this message no matter the cost, even when it doesn't feel like a physical blessing. Trust that he will bring reward in the end. Be faithful, even if it costs you everything. Be faithful to bring others in. Make yourself the demonstration by the power of his grace. He's made it available. We just have to have faith in it. Because he is coming again. And so we're going to end this with an understanding of the second coming because Jesus is returning. Jesus told us to always be ready for his return, which will happen when nobody expects it to. One day soon he is coming back the same way that he left and every eye will see and every tongue will confess that he is 
Lord. In Revelations chapter 1 verse 5 it says, And Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds in other words those who continue in sin will see him also because the word of God says that when we continue in sin we pierce him again we crucify the Lord afresh and these people also will see him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail before him even so amen I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come the almighty do you see the importance of preaching the entirety of the gospel he said I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end I am the word made flesh I am truth all through scripture and I am coming again for those who believed me in revelations chapter 19 verse 11 it says and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him his name was called faithful and true and in righteousness doth he judge and make war his eyes were as flames of fire and on his head were were many crowns and he had a name written and no man knew but he himself and he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God his name is the word of God we've got to believe the word if we want to believe God and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he trodden the winepress and of fierceness and wrath of almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords those who have been faithful to him will rule with him on earth for a thousand years and then forever in heaven but those who have not will miss him and will face the final judgment you see the reason the Jews missed Jesus when he came the first time is because they were expecting this mighty warrior king this lion and they got a lamb it's not what they expected and the reason most of the church is going to miss him when he comes again is because they're expecting this little lamb meek and mild but he's coming back as the lion with judgment and fire in his eyes and they're not expecting what's coming this is the gospel of Jesus Christ you must believe this in your heart and confess it with your mouth no matter what it costs you to be saved even if it costs you your life you must maintain this profession of faith and belief so today lord we pray by faith we confess this we believe it we profess it and we will live it and we will also be willing to repeat it to be a witness of it to others my friend I'm going to lead you in a prayer today a profession of faith and I'm going to give you space to repeat after me but you must truly believe in your heart what you are confessing with your mouth 
And I assure you, if you truly believe these things, then you shall be saved and made ready for his coming. But you have to maintain the profession. You've got to continue to believe it from now until the time that you see him. Because if you fall away, he said, I will have no pleasure in them that draw back and return to sin. So today, God, we make a profession of faith. We speak it out loud to you that we might hear it ourselves. That our heart truly believes what we're about to say. And our mouth is willing to speak it before anyone. And we'll do it every day. Provide the opportunity. And we will be a witness. So today we say by faith that I believe. And you can repeat after me. That Jesus is the son of God. That he came and gave his life. That we might live. That he rose again. On the third day. And that he is one day coming back again. For those who truly believe in him. We confess that we have sinned. And need him to save us. We recognize that from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, that man rebelled against God and broke the agreement. And we fell under the curse of sin. But we believe also that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and paid the price to redeem us and give us a new life. We choose today to repent of our sins and I give you space right here. Pause if you need to. But if there's anything that you know specifically that you have done that is sin, you need to confess that out loud to him and repent of it. Choose to do it no more and trust that he has given you the power and the grace to abstain from it from this day forward. We profess today that we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you came to save us from sin. So today we surrender our lives to you. We choose to turn away from sin, from the devil, and from all of his works. And serve you, Lord God, and you only. We choose to forgive all others who have wronged us so that you can forgive us. Lord Jesus, wash us with your blood and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and put your spirit 
within us and lead us in your righteousness forever and ever. Amen. This, my friend, is the heart of true biblical evangelism. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.